Father, we come before you and we come before you in faith because we know you keep your word. We know that your promises are true. We know that there's always hope in Christ no matter what our circumstances may say. And we come before you not because we are great people of faith, because we're not always everything we should be. And we don't come before you because we are great prayers and that we will be heard because of our words, because of the way we pray or the frequency of our prayer or the sincerity of our prayer. We come before you because you are a great God and you are a faithful God. And I know, uh, Lord, today that there are people who have been touched by grief or the memory of loss. And I pray for them today and ask you to help and comfort and strengthen them. I know that there are people here today that are facing some things that they never thought they would face, situations that they never dreamed would ever come up. It may be personal. It may be something that's happening in a business. It may be something that's happening in their personal life. It may be something that's happening in their kids or something like that. We don't know, but you do. And you promised, Lord, that you would be the God that would take us through our roughest times, our hardest times, and you would give us the ability to stand, not because we are good at standing and not because we hold on to you, but because you hold on to us. And so, Lord, everything we think about this morning and everything we've been singing about and what we studied in Sunday school reminds us it's not about us and how good we are at being Christians or believing you. It's how good you are at keeping your word. And would you just take every heart this morning and soothe them and let them know you do, you will keep your word. And I pray that uh, you would give us all hope today. And especially as we look into your word now for a few minutes, I pray that we would see Jesus and we would be amazed by him. We would love him more, understand him more, and pray that we would see that the real focus of our life has to be Christ and he is sufficient for whatever we may be going through. So bless us and thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would take your Bibles and open them up again to John chapter 5 as we make our way through this verse by verse. John chapter 5. And we're going to find out Jesus again going more into detail. Now, you remember that uh, he healed a guy who was paralyzed by uh, the pool. And uh, when the guy got up and walked, nobody had any problem with that. But, oh, he picked up his bed on the Sabbath. And we uh, certainly can't have that. Nobody was in awe of Christ. Nobody was bowing down and worshiping Christ. Nobody was shouting, Hallelujah, the Messiah has come. All they could think of is, How dare you tell a guy to pick up his bed and walk? And of course, that was a man made rule that was not in the Old Testament. And so they are uh, ticked off by all of that. And so through this, we've been seeing that the more Jesus does and the more he speaks and the more he clarifies, I mean, this morning we talked about. God clarifying his promise to Abram in Sunday school. He didn't tell him the whole thing, but he made it a little more clear. Sometimes we think, if I could just understand everything, if I could just be clear about everything, and if I could make other people understand things with clarity, everything would be okay. Well, Jesus did it, and it made them want to kill him all the more. Sometimes it's not that people don't understand you. Sometimes the problem is they do right they get it 
And they know exactly what you mean and exactly what you're saying. And that's what throws them off. Well, that's what's happening here. And as we uh, move through this passage and as we get to John chapter uh, 5 and we look at verse 24, we're going to go from verse 24 to verse 30. And we're going to talk about Jesus today. And he's going to talk about himself. So we're doing this on good authority. He's giving us full disclosure, self-disclosure about himself. We don't have to guess about any of this. So John chapter 5 verse 24. And it begins like this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, has, not will have, has everlasting life and shall not, there's a promise, shall not come in to judgment, but has passed from death into life. Now most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself, as the Father has life in himself, excuse me, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Now do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own but the will of the Father who sent me. Now, as Jesus says all of this, these people's blood is just boiling. And they are thinking about all of this and they're, they're looking around for the nearest rock that they can find because this is something that is uh, not normally said by any human being. And if it is, uh, the Jews would execute them. This would be complete blasphemy in this situation. Now, isn't it interesting as we've made for about three weeks now the point that Jesus didn't hide. Jesus didn't camouflage himself. Jesus didn't just go away and be a carpenter in Nazareth and let people come to him. He was confronting error. He was confronting their disbelief. And he was doing it with the idea that uh, I'm here to die. What have I got to lose? I'm here to die. I'm not going to die until my hour comes. How many times did he say, my hour is not yet come. But when it does come, it's all going to fall into place. He's going to go to the cross as the unblemished lamb and the only sacrifice for our sins. And then he's going to be raised from the dead. And that's where our hope is. One of the things that... Uh, oh, there we go. That makes everything really, really, really clear is when Jesus speaks in these verses and basically says, I'm here doing the Father's will. That's it. And I don't do just whatever I want to do. I do what the Father tells me to do. How about if I take this red one here and we just cut this one off, okay? Got it? That's better. And so as Jesus says that, he is telling the Jewish people there, I'm not going to leave you in obscurity. I'm not going to leave you just to kind of guess. 
Now, Sammy and I were talking the other day about how uh, common it is for people to say, maybe at a funeral or maybe talking about somebody, oh, they're a person of faith. Now, we're supposed to know what that means. Here's my question. What does that mean? Faith in Buddha? Is that the same as faith in Christ? Faith in fate and circumstances or astrology? Is that the same as faith in Christ? And so the problem is sometimes, unlike Jesus, we don't make things just really clear. And so we leave people kind of going, well, what is it that they do? Well, they go to church. Maybe that's the answer. And then they try it, and it's not the answer. It doesn't really do what uh, they think it ought to do, and so they just quit going to church. Other times they may look and they say, well, they're real generous. They brought food over one time when my wife was sick, so maybe it's in charitable work, and maybe it's in being generous toward other people. And so they do that for a while, and uh, it doesn't pay the bills, and it doesn't seem to help them a whole lot. And so they're left scratching their heads saying, so what is a Christian? And they assume that they're a Christian because they don't deny Christ. And they assume they're a Christian. They've been to church once or twice. And uh, they have sung some of the songs. And so uh, they, they assume that it's okay. Well, back in uh, about 300 years after Jesus died, 341 A.D., something like that, there was a creed that kind of capsulized the Christian faith. Have you ever heard of the Apostles' Creed? Now, there was a medieval legend that said the apostles all got together before they died one last time and wrote this. That, that's just superstition. That didn't happen. But it was a way of the early Christians in this early period of church history to write down and be succinct and to be clear about what it is that uh, they actually believe. And so they began to recite this, and uh, it's held on. Uh, the Reformers recited it. A lot of churches today will still recite it. As Baptists, we typically don't do these things in the uh, same way that others do. But I thought as I looked at it, it might be good for us to look at this thing that was written. And the earliest written copy we have is in 341 A.D. So this has been around for a long, long time. Okay? Now, the Apostles' Creed, when I was growing up and my dad was a military chaplain, they said this every week in the chapel services as part of their liturgy. And uh, think about it. Here's what it says. It's on the screen for you. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will judge, or come again to judge the living and the dead. Now, if you were to talk about Jesus, and you were to talk about him around friends and neighbors, family members and loved ones, and just say simply, you know, I, I'm a believer in Jesus. That, that's a good testimony. Don't want to discourage that. But what does that mean, and what are they going to understand it as? And what we just read right there is pretty clear. It's not just a Jesus who's like a ghost or the force or something like that. Not a Jesus who 
could be any name of any other god or goddess in any other part of the world. No, it's different. It's this one, this Jesus, who was born like this, who lived like this, who died like this, who rose again like this, and the one who is coming again to judge the living and the dead. The older version says the quick and the dead. And when I was a little kid, I really didn't understand. I thought he was fast or something. And, uh, but it's the living and the dead. He is there to be the judge. Most of the world, most of the people that when you say, I believe in Jesus, and they nod and smile and go, that's really nice, would completely reject what we just read. Because in their mind, Jesus is just a man. Jesus is just a force. Jesus is just a good philosopher, a rabbi, a teacher, something like that, a moral example. But he would never judge anybody. Jesus loves everybody. He would never make any kind of judgment. And you just said in that confession that Jesus makes a judgment. Well, it goes on to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And this is something that used to throw me a lot too. It says, and the Holy Catholic Church. Notice it's a little C. The word Catholic there means the universal church, that living and dead were all part of the body of Christ. And uh, then it goes on to say the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. Well, see, our world doesn't even think we do sin. Everything you do is cool, copacetic. It's, it's what you ought to do. It's what you were made to do. It's what evolution formed you to do. You don't need forgiveness of anything. The resurrection of the body. Well, there again, they believe that when you die, it's just like when a dog dies or something. It's just over and you're put in the grave and you decompose and that's really it. And then it goes on to say, and the life everlasting and then it concludes with amen. And amen is the term that means so be it. And so this is the capsulation of faith, kind of the, the very basics. It's Christianity 101, we might say. And this is where it separates people because whenever somebody says, I'm a Christian or I believe in God or I believe in Jesus, but then you nail it down like this in the most basic way, they'll walk away and go, nope. Don't believe that. Nope, I'm not really a part of that. Now, that's crazy, and I believe some of that, but I don't believe all of it, and yet that is the encapsulation of the Christian faith. Now, that is what got the Reformers in trouble when they had to run for their lives. That's what got early Christians to be thrown to lions, this, this creed or something like this. This is what caused your Baptist forefathers in England to be burned at the stake. It was believing Christianity like this. You can believe in Christianity, you can believe in Jesus, but just not like this. This is what brings on the persecution. Well, this is what Jesus is going through as he begins to tell the truth this is what is causing the trouble. This is what is causing them to hate him and to plot to kill him. It's not the vagueness. It's the clarity of everything that he said. And I have a suspicion that if we as Christians were as clear as we ought to be, we would probably see more of this coming our way as well. Because sometimes we're just generic enough that the new ager can go, yeah, that's sort of what I believe too. I, I can see the same thing. Or the uh, Hindu could kind of say, well, that's, that's just another one of your gods or goddesses. You have yours and I have mine. And I may add yours to mine. And maybe you should think about adding some of mine to yours. And uh, that is what would cause the 
Islamic guy that was visiting our church one time to come to me and say, that's very much like the Quran and uh, all of that type of thing. We can say things so that it looks like, oh, we're all in this together and we all kind of think the same thing. But you know, and I know that that's not true. That when we start talking about what is real, what really is, and what the Bible really says. Now, let me just back up and say, I'm not telling you to blurt out everything all at once in every situation. It's not always appropriate. It's not always timely. And uh, I'm also not telling you to be a jerk as you do this. We're to be kind and we're to let everything we say be done in uh, love. Uh, Paul said your speech is to be seasoned with grace. And so we don't want to dump the whole load on them all at once. But we do want to be clear, and especially if they are asking, we've got to be clear about what we believe. It may cost you some friendships. It may cost you some business opportunities. It may, uh, one of these days, it may cost you your freedom or even your life. But the church has gone through this for 2,000 years, and the church has been triumphant through all of this. So we have nothing to fear because our God reigns. And you say, well, uh, what if they kill us? Well, just think about this. Instant death means instant glory, right? And so we've got to keep our eyes on the prize. And so much like this creed that caused so much persecution for early believers, uh, this is what Jesus is doing as he begins to make things clear. Nobody is sitting here, oh, Jesus, you're just so wonderful. Oh, Jesus, you make me feel so good. Oh, Jesus, this is going to make my marriage better. Oh, Jesus, this is going to make my business to be more prosperable. Thank you for saying all of this kind of stuff. No, the clarity of it was going to cost him his life. Now, what they didn't know is that was the plan all along, and they were following the plan of a sovereign God, and uh, they were pawns in the devil's hand, yes, but they were a part of the grand scheme of what Jesus came to do. So Jesus is saying here, number one, the emphasis of Christ is found in uh, verse 24, and he always emphasized this. He didn't back down or back away from it. He didn't get vague. He didn't get politically correct, and it boils down to this. Salvation and the Christian life is not in you or done by you. And yet so many people think that if I want to go to heaven, I've got to do enough, and I've got to do enough of the right stuff, the right amount of times, and then God will be forced to let me into heaven. I think a lot of people instinctively know, well, I'm not perfect, and I'm not everything I ought to be, but maybe if I can do enough stuff to pile up over here, the good will outweigh the bad if we were to put them on a scale. And then God would have to say, well, I'm not wild about it, but okay, you've done enough. Come on in. Well, it doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. And it never will work that way. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. And to a bunch of people that may have just come from the temple and maybe they just sacrificed their best animal for the glory of God. Maybe they have been through something where they have deprived themselves. Maybe they attended a feast that they didn't really want to go to and it was a hard thing to get to, but they just did it. And now basically Jesus is saying, that's not going to get you any points with God. Now, if Jesus had just said, oh, we're all Jews. We all love Abraham and Moses and we follow the, the Torah. 
they would have all said amen to that and they would have uh, really been with him in that situation. But Jesus didn't just leave it in those kind of terms. He gets extremely specific here and he talks about some people that are going to be raised to um, life, eternal life. Well, that's what every one of those Jews wanted. And uh, so they would say okay to some of this, but then they would really cringe at some others. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word. Now, that's going to cause some problems for some people. Who do you think you are that we should believe your word? And he doesn't just leave it there, but he says, and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Now, that's kind of a tough saying because Jesus is saying to those Jews, it's not enough to believe in Abraham's God and Moses' God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not enough just to affirm the existence of that God. Jesus is saying here that I am so tied to the Father, you have to believe me and my word, and you have to believe in God. So you can't have anyone then or now saying, well, I believe in God, but I'm not so sure about Jesus. And you can't have someone say, well, I really like Jesus, but I'm not so sure about God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. This all comes together, and this is something that is extremely important because Jesus says, they shall not come to judgment, but they are passed from death to life. Now, he emphasizes this. My translation says, most assuredly, uh, yours may say verily, verily, or something like that. And in the Greek, the word, it's kind of uh, interesting. It's amen, amen, I say to you. Amen, amen, I say to you. And so he is really pushing the point. He's not saying as he scratches his head, you know, I think it could be, it might be, it uh, sort of could be something that has to do with faith. And, and it, this is what I think about it. Do with it what you want. I mean, that's kind of what our world would say today. You believe what you want to believe. Think what you want to think because none of us are really truth. But this is, this is kind of my idea, kind of, sort of, in a way about all of this. He didn't say that. He said, amen, amen, so be it, so be it. Truth, truth, I'm saying this to you. If you want everlasting life, you've got to believe in my word and you've got to believe in the Father who sent me. Now, they are never going to put that together if they can help it. They're never going to put that together on their own accord. In fact, them's fighting words. We're going to do away with this guy and we are going to see just, well, even when he was on the cross and he cried out uh, to the uh, Lord, they said, well, let's see if anyone saves him. He saved others, let him save himself. Where is your power now? Where is all of this authority now? And little did they know it was being displayed on the cross. Can you say amen to that? That's where it really was. So as Jesus is speaking here, hear my words. It's more than just the sound of his words. It means believing and recognizing them for what they are. And uh, it's tied together. Believing God is to believe Jesus. To believe Jesus is to believe God. To hear the words of God is to hear the words of Jesus. To hear the words of Jesus is to hear the words of God. And so he's basically saying, through me, 
the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah, you receive life, and that's how you escape judgment, not by killing animals, not by going through feasts and rituals, not by restraining your flesh where you really want to commit adultery, but you don't. It's got to be much more than that. You've got to become truly righteous with the righteousness of God. And Jesus said, and that's why I'm here. Boy, that's really going to rankle them because that's going to hurt the sacrifice business. And that's going to take away the credibility of all those people who would stroke their long beards and tell you what they thought and you were supposed to believe it and behave it. Jesus is challenging the whole system. Now, secondly, notice the authority of Christ. If you really want to know if someone has real authority, real power, if they're the real deal, then have them do this. Tell them to go to the funeral home or go to the cemetery and command the graves to be opened or command the dead to be raised to life. And this is the thing that he moves into in the next because any of those Jews there would say, well, only God can do that. Yeah, that's the point. And he's not shying away from any of that at all. So we see, number two, the authority of Christ. He can raise the dead and then is anything too hard from him. That's the ultimate thing. And I would say this, if you can raise the dead, you can do uh, everything else is, uh, you know, just fluff, right? That's the ultimate thing. Can you raise the dead? And so he says, most assuredly, there again, amen, amen, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Well, since he has already been uh, claiming for uh, a lot of verses before this that he is the Son of God, what is he really saying to them? Not somebody else, but when they hear me speaking, what is going to happen when they hear the Son of God, me in other words, and those who hear will live? Well, that would cause you to gasp. Who do you think you are? Well, he's telling them who he is. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son, me, to have life in himself. And so he says there's an hour coming, there's a day coming, and uh, that speaks of, again, a future res uh, resurrection of everyone. Everyone is going to be raised from the dead. Everyone is going to have eternal life. It's just a question of where it's going to be. You're going to live eternally resurrected in hell, or are you going to live eternally resurrected in heaven? Those are the only choices that you have. But he also said something else. Uh, he could have just left it there and said, well, there's this future date coming, and I'm going to do it then. But then he has to go ahead and say, and by the way, I can prove it, because he says, and now is. And now is there's a day coming when the dead are going to hear my voice and come to life and it is going to happen now. Well, all they have to do is watch. And if he's a fake, then none of this is going to happen. But if he's the real thing, it's going to happen. And so we find here that dead people are going to be given life in several ways. First of all, there is the spiritual way. You remember back in chapter three, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. Very good. That means you've got to be raised from the dead. You're spiritually dead, Nicodemus, and you need to have new life. And every time a person repents of their sin and trusts Jesus Christ, they are born again. They have a new life. Their past is done away with. The life of God has come 
to dwell in them. Their sins are wiped away, so they have a whole new past, and they're a new creature presently, and they have a whole new future because they're going to go to heaven when they die. They are born again. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that before we were saved, that we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We couldn't do anything. We couldn't think anything. We couldn't uh, uh, accomplish anything. It had to be the work of God. And that's what Jesus is speaking here, partially. He says, and now is, because spiritually dead people are going to be raised to life. But if we look at this a little closer, we find out that he was saying something else too. Jesus raised people from the dead. We have three instances of people being raised from the dead during his earthly ministry. Now, who does that? Who can do that? Well, Jesus can because the Father has given him the power of life in himself, and Jesus can command people to come, to the, uh, come from the grave. And you uh, remember that he raised a, a widow's son who was dead in Nain, in Luke chapter 7, 11 through 17, we won't bother, bother to read these. We'll just reference them. He raised the daughter of Jairus in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 49. And uh, those were important to Luke because you remember Luke was a medical doctor. And so these accounts of resurrections, very, very important to him. But John the apostle that we're studying now is going to tell us in John chapter 11, of the raising of Lazarus after he had been dead for four days. And these are just a preview of things to come. There's a resurrection coming that is going to involve all of us, all of you, all of us. First of all, there's a resurrection of the saved. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse um, in chapter 4, I think it's verse 13, it says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, with him, they're not still in the grave, they're in heaven, with him, those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will ascend, descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I hope those words comforted you. That's your future. You, Christian, are going to be raised from the dead. And you may be in the grave. You may be in the grave like some of our brothers and sisters for 2,000 years. Doesn't matter. God's going to raise you from the dead. You may not be in a typical proper grave, so to speak. You may have been burned up in a house fire or in a, killed in a war. You may have been, uh, your body may be in the depths of the sea. Doesn't matter. Whatever the grave may be, all believers are going to be called up at the voice of the Lord. And we find this written here. It gives us hope. It reminds us that our life here is temporary. And every candle you add to your birthday cake not only sets off the smoke alarm, but it also means you're getting closer to the end. 
Every day that passes, every turn of the calendar, every tick of the clock, all of those are reminding us that we are going to die. It's part of the plan. It's part of the process. We are going to die, but we're not going to stay dead. That one of these days, we're going to be called up. Our bodies will be called up, and we will be reunited. Our body, soul, and spirit will be reunited at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be with the Lord forever, and that's supposed to bring comfort unto us. Don't fear all the things that you go through in life. Don't fear what disease can do to you. Don't fear what people can do to you. Don't fear what governments can do to you. Remember, you have a higher king, a higher authority. He's got a higher plan of whatever they may do to you. They may feed you to the lions and there's not really anything left of you. Doesn't matter. God is going to call you forth and you're going to be with the Lord. Well, preacher, you said everybody. What about lost people? Well, got a reference up there for you, and you're welcome to uh, look at it. But there is the resurrection in Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 15 of another sort. And John the Apostle, the same guy that wrote our book that we're reading, he wrote Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, that means important and the no-names, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, the one that really matters. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Did you know God is keeping, lost person, a record of everything you've ever done, how you did it, when you did it, and why you did it. And you're going to stand before God and you're going to say, I was a good person. I worked really hard. I gave a lot of money. I volunteered for this and this and this. Everybody said I was a good person. And the Lord Jesus is going to say, open the books. And then you're going to be exposed for what you really are. And look what happens it says, And the earth and the sea, they gave up their dead who were in it, and death and Hades uh, were delivered up, and they who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. That's interesting to think about, isn't it? This is the second death. Verse 15, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And folks, that's for eternity. That's for eternity. Say, so, well, how do I get my name written in that one book? Well, technically, it's already written there or it's not written there. there because John also says it's written from the foundation of the world. The, the Lord knows. But the only people who are in the book of life are those who have repented of their sins, quit trusting in themselves and whatever they can do, and trust completely and totally in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he makes them a new creature. And uh, those are the ones whose names are written in that book. But for the others, they may have a lot of defense, and they may put, protest everything, and they may appeal, and they may... Uh, Go on and on and on about how good and how worthy they are. But then it boils down to this. Open up the book that matters 
And they open up the book of life. And if their name is not there, then they are cast into the lake of fire with all of those other things that we just read about. So everybody will be resurrected, either to eternal life or to an eternity in the lake of fire. So when we think about that, Jesus said, it's going to be at my command and at my voice. It's because he has all authority to give life and all authority to judge all of this has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, that's a little different than the Jesus that maybe you see in the Christmas movies. That's a little different than the Jesus that a lot of churches preach. That's a little different than the Jesus of social media. But Jesus made it clear. These are not my words or my ideas. This is what it says in the Bible. And we put those references there so you can look at it for yourself. Check it out. Don't believe me. Check out what the Word of God says. And number three... The righteousness of Christ, his judgment, never misses the mark. Never misses the mark. Have you ever made a judgment and you missed the mark? Maybe you invested in a stock and you told some other people, this is a sure thing. This is going to make us all millionaires. Yeah, and well, you missed the mark, right? Have you ever heard anybody say at the, the beginning of a year, this year in 2024, here's what's going to happen. And then they give all of these outlandish things. If you're old enough, you can remember someone named Gene Dixon. Remember that? And every year in the National Enquirer, she would have her predictions for the next year. Very few of them ever came true. Very few. But she made a lot of money doing it. Right. Well, when we think about uh, what all is going to happen and what all is happening and what all Jesus is actually saying here. And he's not just saying it, you know, to us 2000 years later. He's saying it to the people who could uh, really cause him some trouble. And he's telling them things that he said, this is not going to miss the mark. This is not going to be just a general thing. Like if I were uh, going to prophesy and be held to it, they would say, what do you think Pastor Keenan is going to happen in 2024? I would say some things like this. Ah, there's going to be some people getting sick. Safe? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid that there's going to be an enormous number of people die. How many people is it that die every day anyway? It's enormous. I might say something like there's going to be corruption in the government. Right? Or here, here's a good one. Now mark this down. Politicians are going to lie. Right? Now that's safe. But Jesus is saying here, there's going to be a resurrection of all of you and some of you not to heaven. Some of you, it is for hell in the lake of fire. And the thing we need to remember about this is Jesus is not just shooting off his mouth. What does he say about all of this in verse 30? I can of myself do nothing. He's here under the father's authority. And that's a voluntary submission, by the way. And he said, as I hear, I judge and my judgment is righteous. You know, the word for sin is an archery term. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means that it always misses the bullseye. 
It misses the mark. But to be righteous means it is right on target. And what he is telling us here, that everything he said is going to happen, and he is saying this, he never sends an innocent person to hell. He never has to have an appeal. He never has to have DNA evidence that's going to get you out of hell and go, oh, well, we didn't know that happened. Well, this proves that we were wrong. It's going to be 100% totally accurate because he gets it from the Father who is perfect. He says, I do not uh, seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And that could be, I guess, the mission statement of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not just here living life, living my best life. I'm not just here just hanging out. I'm not just here and, uh, hey, let's just see what happens. And some people kind of have the idea that when Jesus came to earth, he said, well, I'm coming here to make everything great, but these people won't let me. And they're always in the way and they're doing bad things and it's messing me up. And, oh, why are you nailing my hands to the cross? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible said, don't think that I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to mix things up. I came to mess things up. I came to make things clear and shake things up with the truth and with clarity that people really don't want to hear. And by the way, everything I say is coming from my Father and my judgment is perfect. So if I say you're not right, you're not right. And if I say, like he did to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. That is a right judgment. And then just a little bit later when he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. That wasn't just because his temper flew off uh, you know, out of hand. That is because it was a righteous judgment. Everything Jesus does is righteous. It's accurate. It's truth. It cannot be altered. And you and I are subject to his righteous judgment. That's something to think about when you think about the fact that everybody in the sound of my voice is going to die. And not everybody dies at 101. Some people die much sooner than that, don't they? We know that. And so to boast of tomorrow and to think that, oh, we'll take care of this later on is a foolish thing to say. And when you stand before the Lord, will you stand before him as your savior or will he be your judge? And so Jesus is saying here, my judgment is from the father. It is always accurate and uh, it is not like human judgment. Boy, your judgment as we said earlier, with the stock market can be so bad. But you know the other thing too? You can sure be wrong when you judge other people. Have you ever gone to a new job, a new neighborhood, a new school, and you looked at somebody and your first thought was, I don't like that guy. Have you ever thought about somebody and said, well, they're fake. Have you ever looked at somebody and said, I don't trust them. I don't know what it is. But there's something about them I don't trust. Now, there's, there are times when you do that, and you know what? You're right. You had kind of an intuition or something like that, and you were right. But at the same time, that's dangerous because that makes you think you're always right. And nobody ever said that. I mean, even a stopped clock, well, the old kind anyway, is right twice a day. Isn't that right? And you lost people can be right. You can be right every once in a while and you hit it. And what happens is your flesh goes, oh, man, you got it. 
boy, you're so right. Everybody ought to listen to you. And you've got a special sense in all of this. But the truth of the matter is you've been wrong and you've misjudged people. And Jesus said, I don't do that. I don't do it on the basis of the way somebody talks or their accent or their intellect or their uh, number of earned degrees. I don't do it on the basis of how they look or how they sound. Some people just, they have a voice. It just sounds right and it sounds soothing and it sounds believable. It's kind of amazing. That's why they don't ask me to do commercials, right? And most of you. Y'all to drink a Coke is good for you, you know. Uh, that kind of thing. It doesn't happen, but some people have that. Well, Jesus doesn't get fooled by any of those things. There's never any new evidence that comes up because he's an all-knowing God, and he knows every single thing about you. He looks upon the heart. So, have you been born again? Are you a new creature because you've trusted in Christ? Do you show the evidence of that? Or are you just faking it? Or are you just going along thinking you're good enough because you have judged yourself? And in your judgment, you're just as good as anybody, right? That's not the judgment that really matters according to the Word of God. And so we judge unfairly. We judge in pride and we judge by prejudice toward other people. We judge by what we think of them and how they have treated us. There are some people you just don't like because they were not very kind to you. And everything else may be in order, but they didn't like you. Therefore, they can't be a very good person. And Jesus never judges by that. He never judges by jealousy. He never judges in arrogance. He never judges in contempt. And um, it uh, may be... That when we think about Jesus, maybe the, pardon me, the judgment might seem harsh when we read in Revelation 20, but it is always done accurately. And this is what Jesus is saying to these people here, and this is what they cannot handle, and it's probably what you can't handle either. And so uh, when we think about all of these things that are going on here and what Jesus is saying, it says in Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. In other words, he's getting what he deserves. God's getting him for all of those lies that he's told. And then Isaiah says, But, not so fast, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace and by his wounds we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what are we saying? So what? We're simply saying this. You've got to face the death that you are a human being. If you're a human being, would you please say amen? Then you've got a problem. You're going to die. You're getting older. Things are changing. You can't do what you used to do. You're not as good as you used to be at certain things. Now we can try to compensate that with all kinds of chemicals. And we can try to compensate that with food and exercise and all of that. And that helps. It, it really does. But it doesn't stop the aging process. You are going to die. And you don't know when that is and it's going to happen. And I got a suspicion that when you get to be my age, I, I look at this and I go, I thought it would take longer to get old. You ever feel like that? 
Sometimes you look in the mirror in the morning before you can fix anything up. You look and you go, good night. What in the world happened? Sometimes you see pictures of celebrities before they died, when they were older, and when they were young. And you go, wow, how could that lady ever be that good looking? It's called age. And it's because of sin that we all die, right? And Jesus just told us here, not only are we going to die, but we are going to be resurrected. Now, my question to you is, are you going to be in the resurrection that leads to eternal life? Or are you going to be in the resurrection that leads to an eternity in the lake of fire? Well, that's pleasant to think about, isn't it? And yet that's what Jesus said. Well, that's kind of, you know, that kind of offends me. I didn't come to church to feel bad about anything. That's exactly what they said to Jesus. What are you doing stirring things up? What are you doing talking like that? Who do you think you are anyway? And they began to plot to kill him and didn't know that that was all a part of the plan because we needed a Savior. And so in this, when Jesus says things that are somewhat harsh, somewhat blunt, he's doing it out of love because he is headed to the cross to die for sinners like us. And the good news is he didn't stay dead. He arose from the dead on the third day. And then as we recited in that creed earlier, he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father and he's coming back one day and he is going to be your judge. What will Jesus say when you stand before him? Welcome, enter into my kingdom or depart from me, you worker of iniquity. And that's what really matters and that's the point that he's driving home. So my um, exhortation to you is, if you've not been saved, trust him today. Cry out to him today. Put your trust from yourself and your religion and your morality and your good works. Put it all 100% on Christ on the cross because he paid for your sins in full. And if you'll trust him, he'll forgive you. And he rose from the dead. And the only hope you have in death is someone who has conquered death, and that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang it earlier, who is our hope in life and death? And the answer is Christ alone. Christ alone. Not a mixture, Christ alone. Have you put your trust in Christ alone and been born again because this is the Jesus that came to earth this is the Jesus that made everything clear this is the Jesus that's his clarity led him to the cross by the plan of God and the hatred of those people who couldn't stand the message is this the Christ you have trusted in and have you been born again would you bow your heads with me please Lord Jesus as we think about this and we think about what you went through on the cross and we think about your death and we think about the agony of it and we think about how you could have just stood in the shadows. You could have camouflaged yourself. You could have been obscure and unknown. You could have made your words very vague and unclear. You could have spoken just generically, but you didn't. Clearly, pointedly, lovingly. And because of that, they hated you. And yet we love you and we thank you for all of that. And I pray for anyone here today who has never trusted Christ. May today the conviction of the Spirit come upon them. May they turn their eyes to Jesus and trust in Him that what He did on the cross 100% paid for their sins. May they trust that He rose from the dead and that He's coming back again and surrender to Him as Lord of their life. And for every Christian here, would you remind them 
that just like for lost people, our time is short. We don't know when Jesus is returning, and we don't know when we're going to die. I pray we wouldn't just mess around. I pray we wouldn't live like lost people. I pray that we wouldn't just follow after their same motivation. May we live for the glory of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this prayer. Do what pleases you, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.